Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome in. Soccer Morning on the air. Backheel.com. Thank you very much for joining us here on a beautiful Wednesday. Well, I hope it's beautiful no matter where you are. It's certainly somewhat better than it was just yesterday for the U.S. men's national team, at least on the senior level. U23, something of a different story that, of course, is going to be our lead story today. We do have Brian Sharetta from American Soccer now lined up to discuss the things going on in the U.S. soccer program on the men's side uh, with a very busy day yesterday. Super Tuesday is what I called it. I, I, I got to come up with a better name than that. It's, it's over now, so now it doesn't matter as much. But uh, it certainly was a momentous day for the United States on the soccer field and we'll get to uh we'll get to that right now as we go through some of the news ahead of Brian Sharetta joining us. We'll also of course take your phone calls, plenty of time for you to react to the way things went down yesterday. The US men's national team avoids disaster, beats Guatemala for nothing in Columbus, Ohio. Dempsey, Cameron, Zusi, and Altador all score in the American win. The Americans leapfrog Guatemala, move into second place in Group C in the fourth round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, Dempsey, Bradley, Beckerman leading the way with very good performances. And the United States men's national team remains unbeaten in Columbus. The 17-year-old Borussia Dortmund midfielder Christian Pulisic, who we heard on the broadcast, wants his name pronounced Pulisic, Pulisic, made his U.S. men's national team senior-level uh, debut, which capitalized him to the United States so everybody can exhale on the possibility of Christian Pulisic, who pronounces his name that way because he's American, by the way, uh, will not be playing for Croatia. Uh, this was not uh, exactly, mm, you know, the performance we expected. Whether or not it, uh, it, it makes everything better is a different question. Of course, it doesn't, and we'll get into some of that later on in the program. The USU-23s, meanwhile because everything is not hunky-dory in the land of American soccer, fell 2-1 to Columbia in Frisco, Texas, 3-2 on aggregate, over two legs in the Olympic qualifying playoff. Columbia took the lead in the 30th minute on a goal by Roger Martinez. Americans briefly leveled and actually uh, looked pretty good for a little while. Daver, uh, Daver, Daver, Diver, uh, Machado headed the ball into his own net. It's not a name I'm recon- I recognize <laughs> very well. Another Roger Martinez gold sealed the U.S. Uh, sealed, sealed the U.S. fate and led to an emotional meltdown that saw a couple of second half red cards. Luis Gill, uh, Matt Miazga, uh, sent off for accumulating two yellow cards each. Uh, not a strong, uh, not a strong mental performance by the side as they went down the stretch of that game. The United States will now miss out on the uh, on a second consecutive Olympic tournament. First time that's happened since the 60s, I think 64 and 68, although that was a different era in men's soccer in the Olympics. Uh, back then, senior level teams took part, took part. The new the, the rule, excuse me, that, that makes uh, makes this a U23 tournament went to effect in 1992. So clearly uh, the first time the United States has missed the tournament at that level uh, ever uh, once that rule went to place. Um, We'll talk more about what this failure means with Brian Sharetta. And again, whether or not we have some sort of mental issue within the American soccer program, because if you watch the end of that match last night, it was pretty shameful the way the Americans handled themselves. I'm not saying Colombia didn't add to the problems on some level, but you have to shift a lot of the blame 
to the way that those kids, uh, Luis Gill among them, although he did not necessarily make the kind of contact that merited a second yellow card, uh, but you have to be better than that in those moments. Mexico down Canada 2 nothing at the Estadio Ateca to uh, book their place in the Hex. Yep, they're already through. Andres Guardado gave Mexico an early lead on a penalty kick, and Tecatito Corona doubled the advantage just before halftime. It seemed to be a yeoman's boring performance from Mexico by all, all accounts. I did not watch that game, but uh, based on what my timeline was telling me, it seems as though Mexico went through their business without breaking much of a sweat uh, as they beat Canada. Canada now in some serious trouble after some other results in the region, which I'll get to momentarily. Argentinian defender Martin Di Michaelis has been charged by the English FA with betting offenses. A worldwide ban on soccer for all of those, uh, on betting on soccer for all those involved in the game went into effect in August for uh, August of 2014. Di Michaelis has until 5 p.m. on April 5th to respond to the charges, the uh, quote from the FA, it is alleged the player committed 12 breaches of FA Rule E8 concerning football matches between the 22nd of January 2016 and the 28th of January 2016. This is uh, interesting. Rule E8 from uh, the FA states, a participant shall not uh, shall not bet either directly or indirectly or instruct, permit, cause, or enable any person to bet on the result, progress, conduct, or any other aspect or occurrence in a football match or competition. Excuse me. Any other uh, matter concerning or relating to football anywhere in the world, including, for example, without limitation, the transfer of players, employment of managers, team selection, or disciplinary matters. Basically, anything that a player might have some inside knowledge on, you're not allowed to bet on it. But you're not allowed to bet on the game, period. And uh, we'll see how Martin... D. Michaelis handles these charges as levied uh, by the FA. Other results from around the globe, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying in other places, TNT, Trinidad and Tobago, 6 nothing winners over St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Honduras, 2 nothing winners over El Salvador, Panama, one nothing over Haiti, Costa Rica, 3 nothing over Jamaica, Incomnable, uh, Conmable, in South America, Paraguay, 2-2 with Brazil. They're actually up 2-0 in that game. I'm sure our friend Roberto in Connecticut uh, is wishing they held on, but that's a decent result for the Paraguayans. Colombia 3-1 over Ecuador. Uruguay 1-0 over Peru. Argentina 2-0 over Bolivia. 50th goal of his career for Lionel Messi in that game. Venezuela losing 1-4 or 4-1 to Chile at home, the only home side to fall on the night. Friendlies. England falling 2-1 to the Netherlands at home. Portugal beating Belgium 2-1. France beating Russia 4-2. A French team is something to watch. Germany 4-1 over Italy. Obviously, you know all about the German threat as uh, those teams all get ready for the European Championships uh, this summer. You had a couple of other uh, qualifiers, uh, or sorry, uh, friendlies in Europe. You had a bunch of games in Africa. African Nations Cup qualifying uh, was delivered. Uh, a couple of interesting results: three-three Algeria and Ethiopia, uh, Senegal beating Ni- Ni- uh, Niger. Excuse me, Liberia five nothing over Djibouti. That's pretty interesting. Egypt one nothing over I- uh, uh, over Nigeria. Uh, that's the return leg after that crazy. Everybody see that? Did you see those pictures? Of the, the, I don't know how big the stadium was. It was definitely not big enough to hold the number of people that were in it. But people on the scaffolding, on the light stanchions, pretty crazy stuff. All right. Good uh, chance for us to uh, step aside here and grab Brian Shredda 
From American Soccer Now, we'll go over the United States performance in Columbus, the United States performance in Frisco, Texas. We'll talk about Jurgen Klinsmann, Andy Herzog, the players involved. It's Soccer Morning. It's Backhill.com. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. I'm grabbing tickets for DC United to take my kid out to some soccer matches this summer. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert. Get the SeatGeek app on my phone. Just used it the other day to get those D.C. United seats. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if the ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. Before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps and see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish, never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Soccer Morning listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that rebate, go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, and enter the promo code MORNING. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code MORNING today. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. It is a momentous Wednesday, mostly because we had two results for the U.S. men's national team program, both at the senior level and at the U23 level last night. Those games happening in Columbus, Ohio, and Frisco, Texas, respectively. Brian Sharetta from American Soccer now joins us. He was in Columbus. He's uh, on his way home or, or just got back, imagine, at some point in the recent couple of hours from Columbus. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing very well, Jason. <laughs> we are, um, okay, so so obviously everything kind of hinged on what happened Friday in Guatemala City, Brian. A, f- a 2 nothing loss for the United States, pretty pretty damaging to Klinsman's reputation, certainly troubling from the, the, the perspective the United States hadn't lost to Guatemala uh, since 1988, it demanded a response, and and we got one. And yet, I'm still left a little cold by that. Is that fair? Oh, it's completely fair. I mean, look, you know, I I don't think American fans or the media or players or even any uh, you know neutral observers are going to be at the point where you know uh, a, a win over a Guatemalan team that didn't even feature Ruiz or Papa or. I mean, is going to rectify everything, particularly at home. I mean, this is a team that that the U.S. team before the last two games before this has defeated, you know, has defeated Guatemala by a combined score of ten to nothing um, on home soil. I mean, Guatemala is not the team it was. I think back in the late '90s when it when it looked like it could be going the way of Honduras, you know, as a World Cup contender, 
you know, it's 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 not that kind of a program. It's a it's a pretty poor team. And last night they were they showed just how poor they are. Um, and you know, and I don't think, you know, Concacaf is a very forgiving region where you know I think sometimes you can be lured into a false sense of secu- you know of um of uh, security and and you can and, and problems with the team can get really whitewashed. Uh, you know, either way too. I mean, like Mexico almost didn't qualify and then they looked fine at the World Cup last time. So it's a weird region. Um, I don't. I just think the status quo is preserved. I mean, Jurgen Jurgen's not going to get fired over this. But at the same point, I don't think anyone's going to feel really good about the team either, still. Uh, it's going to take the Copa America to really kind of transform people's viewpoints in terms of being seeing how the U.S. can do against, you know, real competition, that, 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 that the, you know, against the kind of teams that they strive to be. You know, it's, um, that the wind in very nuts and bolts fashion sort of, you know, I'm not going to say saves the World Cup qualification campaign, although, you know, so much doom and gloom ahead of the match last night. If they lose this one, they're effectively out of the World Cup, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it seemed very unlikely that was going to happen. And, and sure enough, they, they got the, the job done. So in that sense, this puts them back on the right track. But at the same time, the, the larger questions for Klinsman remain. And, and I, I mean, do you believe that, that there's going to be some sort of admission on the part of, of Klinsman or U.S. soccer that yes, we do have some fundamental problems here with this leadership or are we just going to keep going ho-hum down the road to see what happens in the Copa America and beyond? Yeah, I think it's going to be something that's going to be addressed over time. Um, and he's going to be asked about it too. Cause look, if you look at what really turned, turned the tide for the U.S. team last night, it was Jeff Cameron, Kyle Beckerman, Clint Dempsey, uh, Michael Bradley. Uh, it was guys who were, you know, either in their 30s or late 20s. I mean, it, it was the veteran core. I mean, there was, he was, I mean, so what did, what did Jurgen Klinsmann do when his back was against the wall? He, he went with the veterans, the, his old reliable hand, and they got the job done against the, you know, against the team that they should have. I mean, these are guys who played the game at the highest level, the World Cup and big clubs. And, and and they did what they and they and, and they did what they've done hundreds of times in their career. So in a sense, nothing was learned. I mean, you know, Jurgen, where is this next generation? Where are Jurgen's players coming into the fold and 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 uh, and doing this? I mean, it, there's nothing to really be learned or positively said or or make any bold statement saying the team is going in the right direction when you're winning with with, with known commodities uh, that predate his tenure and and everything else. So. You know, yeah, and then with the combined with the 23 loss, you know, where he's the Federation's technical director, yeah, you, know, you have to start wondering like, there you can you can only whitewash over a certain problem so many times with this hand. I mean, you know, eventually Kyle Beckerman's, you know, he, he I, I'm a big Kyle Beckerman fan. I believe he's a good, very good player, but at 33, you know, he's already not turning in the. He, it's going to father time is going to catch up with him eventually, where where he's not going to be able to put in these kind of performances. So then what? Um, you know, it's, uh, these are problems that are really going to have to be fixed because I, I don't really see this core, uh, being able to really carry this team through, um, uh, the next world cup, yeah. or maybe even the hex. I'm not sure there's anything more damning, um, when it comes to Klinsman and his stewardship of this program than the fact that, as you said, instead of having some sort of, and, and, and look to me, the argument that the player pool doesn't provide him with the tools necessary is the wrong argument because as the national team head coach, regardless of what's, what's there, your job is to 
develop the next generation of players, or at least find a way to to bring through players who can then become the core to replace the older generation. And when push comes to shove, his back up, backs up, back is up against the wall. And let me use all the cliches I can, Brian. He immediately goes back to that core group that you just identified. Right, exactly. You know, and and look, we when you saw the Gold Cup last year, you know, and you hate to keep going back to it, they were being outplayed by teams uh, with players who, you know, their goal is to be in MLS. You know, that's a that's a high point for them. So it's not like they don't like they don't they didn't have talent to overcome some of those teams. Uh, they they did, and um, they did have that talent, and they didn't do it. So the you know obviously. You wanted to see him win on the road in Guatemala and, and win games that are a little bit more challenging, not just win the easy games. And, um, you know, look, uh, even if they had won in Guatemala, um, yeah, I, these questions would still persist. And, yes, playing on the road in CONCACAF is very difficult and difficult for, for every man, U.S. manager um, forever. So, and, and it will always continue to be tricky, but... You want to see this, you want to see something else emerge within this team. Something to be like, wow, like, I didn't see this before. This is, this is, I mean, this is, you know, this is, you know, Clinton is supposed to be a different manager. There's a reason why they're paying him a fortune, oh, so much more than any other manager is because, you know, he promised a lot. He, you know, the, the expectation should be higher. And, and, and right now we're still getting the status quo at that. And, um, so we'll see. I mean, I think the Copa America, because they're not going to be playing in the Confederations Cup, the Copa America is really the chance to learn about this team and what direction it's heading in. And, you know, you hope that if the, that the U.S. team can do well, but also not just ride the continued hand, the, the same old hand. Um, you want to see them, uh, you know, introduce new players into the fold and have a new stamp and have a new identity. I mean, that's kind of where most American fans thought we would be, you know, five years into Clinton's tenure, if you look back and, and ask people where they would hope that back in 2011. Uh, the, the, the job is, is pretty clear. Um, you know, ahead of them come the next round of qualifying, which I don't think happens until what, September? So, so it's a matter of right now trying to salvage something and, and build something towards Copa America. Uh, there are a couple of friendlies ahead of that, that match, but otherwise Clinton's going to have to do all of his tinkering without actually having his team in front of him. Uh, does that just, uh, does that just indicate we're going to see the, essentially this same group, maybe with a couple of, uh, additions through, through health? Yeah. I mean, I still think you could see Niazga pop up from the 23s, maybe a couple of the best U23 performers, uh, you know, maybe start making their way into this team too. I think between the current roster and the, and a couple of the U23s and, and, and the players who are injured, I think that's where the, the Copa America team will come from. Now, look, there there is still a lot of ways you can play um, new brand of soccer among the, the players that uh, from the pools I just mentioned. I mean, you know, where is Darlene Kanagbe going to fit in? I mean, he's looked nothing but promising every time he's been on the field for the U.S. team. Is he going to step up and then all of a sudden be able to take a role against a, a good team like Colombia? Uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of different ways that they can that they can handle that. Uh, you know that that's the group I think, or that that's a couple of the the, the the one of the players that I identify as a guy that you know needs to have a bigger role in this team going forward. I, I know he was only recently naturalized and and able to become eligible for the United States, um, but but there seems to be 
maybe a hesitance on Klinsman's part to really go for it uh, with, with some of these players? Look, we know Fabian Johnson's going to be on the field if he's healthy. We know Michael Bradley's got a role in this team if he's healthy, although uh, the question with Michael Bradley has always been his about his position, not necessarily his quality, uh, Brian. We know Jeff Cameron should be in this team. Um, regardless of, of what the situation is and probably should be at center back. One of the criticism that, uh, that Klinsman got ahead of the game was that he didn't have any stability in this team and that he changed things too much. Then they threw up some graphic last night on the broadcast that showed that Bradley and Arena actually changed their lineups nearly as much or if not more. And then, and then Klinsman, uh, hearing this stat in the post game press conference, I believe you, you were there. Um, yeah. it said so much for stability. Now, I, I think that he's, he's obviously, he's being petulant, uh, to me, because that's, you know, regardless of whether or not Bradley Arena did it, that's not really the issue we're pointing to. Plus, that, that stat makes no mention of how many changes per lineup. It just says different lineups, and that could be one change. And it doesn't really address the, the major fo- uh, factor that we've talked about, which is the pairings and the partnerships that have lacked, uh, yeah. stability in this team. Well, look, it's, it, I mean, stability is not just lineup changes. Stability is tactics, formations, and like you said perfectly, um, you know, combinations and players' roles within the team. I mean, you know, in 2013, I one time asked Jeff Cameron where he, you know, where he was going to be playing this, uh, this cycle as the head of the Belgium game in Cleveland. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, I was brought into this camp to play center back. And then he starts the next day uh, against Belgium at right back. You know, and it's... Um, you know, so there's a lot of different things that go into uh, stability, and uh, I think it's you know players knowing what to expect when they get into camp. Exactly, the teams meet so infrequently. Exactly, you know, you know, Clinton always talks about the like getting players out of their comfort zone. You know, I'm kind of the belief that you know you almost need to be in your comfort zone with the national team because you're together so short. I mean, you have to get you you come together you know once every couple months. And there, there really is tough, tough, it's a tough time to learn. I mean, you don't, you only have a couple of days before each game. You know, it's nice if they could, that they could, they could come in knowing what to expect and hit the ball running as opposed to, you know, learning their roles and how they're going to play up against this team, learning what position they're going to play heading into each game. And, um, you know, and it's, it's still a mystery as to how much, uh, you know, and how much players know and how much they're comfortable and how much they're aware of what to expect going into camp. I mean, some players have touched on this more than others. Yeah, Brian, I had uh, I had the chance to talk to Landon Donovan yesterday ahead of the game, and, and, and yeah. that was specifically... Great interview, by the way. Thank you. Something specifically that he mentioned, um, that he said the guys he's talked to, and he's not going to name names, and, and, and you know, really this isn't about... Uh, this isn't about internal turmoil at this point, although maybe there's a story there. It, it's but he spoke about guys saying like there isn't uh, there isn't any stability. Uh, they don't know what to expect, and that that's clearly impacting how they play out there. I mean, I I, I think that that what's more frustrating than anything, and what might bother me as a player, whether I was um, a consistent starter or a guy who just got a shot every now and then, is these sometimes these players are raked across the coals for their performances. In games and in situations in which they are not put in the best position to succeed, and, and how can you trust your coach? How can you trust the program to make you look good if there isn't a, a clear notion that they're going to give you a, a, a assignment that you understand before you step foot on the field? Yeah, I mean, I know you do match ratings too, like me, um, and and like when you see like DeAndre Edlin struggling at right midfielder. Um, you know, like he did against Guatemala in Guatemala, um, 
you know, it, it, it stinks to give them a bad grade because, <laughs> because, you know, you, you really feel like, you know, you're punishing a guy for, you know, a position that he doesn't play. I mean, he's only, I mean, the amount of times he's played it for his club, I can probably count on one hand. And, um, the amount of times, I mean, even, even now he's playing all right back for, uh, Sunderland. And it, it's, you know, it's tough. I mean, but again, you know, you kind of hope that, for example, things could stabilize out. Like, you know, if DeAndre Edlin could earn the trust of Klinsman to play in that back line, because it's a big responsibility. Klinsman does put emphasis on the back line, being able to control, being able to not, not, not losing your defensive responsibilities. And the same thing with Castillo on the left. Castillo, you know, and he's always been seen as defensively suspect. So if he can play a left back, think about how good that is. I mean, then all of a sudden you can move Fabian Johnson into the midfield. Yeah. I think the reason why he's playing left back is because, you know, there's, Clinton doesn't like any of the options else back there. So, you know, you think about it, like it's, um, it's, uh, you know, there's bit by bit, you kind of hope that things get solved and, um, and they find options that work for them. Uh, I think it's, it's it's also a trust factor that Clinton wants to have with his players too. Like I was mentioning in the back line, and and um, you know, and right back has been kind of a hole too since Trundle retired. I mean, like uh, Timothy Chandler's looked poor a lot of times. Brad Evans, you know, there's another guy playing out of position. He's not a right back. Um, you know, and then DeAndre Edlin, and you know, it's 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 really kind of it's it's just a complicated time. But you kind of hope that with these small little big performances, if they can keep it up, if all of a sudden Castillo and and Yedlin can answer these questions against maybe a Columbia. Then there's fewer question marks on the team, and it's probably going to be able to bring about a little bit more stability. Yeah. I think that's the best case scenario for the U.S. Mm-hmm. team is, is 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 seeing bit by bit some of these players uh, step in and fill these roles, particularly at the at the roles that are big question marks for the team. Uh, we'll come to the U23s momentarily, but there are a couple of players um, in, in the senior squad who were eligible for the U23s that didn't play with them. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin's one of them. Uh, John Brooks obviously picked up an, an injury, and he wasn't going to be available for anybody um, in, in these games. Uh, and then Christian Pulisic, who um, who made his senior-level debut and is now cap-tied to the United States. Everybody can exhale on that one. Brian, you, every time we talk about it, you told me there's basically no indication that he wanted to play for anybody but the United States. Uh, Croatia being the That's other right. option, um, but this is done now, and and, and he's cap tied, and you know now do we have um, you know do we have an immediate notion of what the future is for Christian Pulisic? Does it depend on how much time he gets at Dortmund? Because it's great to cap tie a seventeen year old, but that says nothing about whether or not he's going to continue to be in this team. No, it doesn't, and it doesn't. I mean, and you don't know if he's going to continue to be in Dortmund's team. Right. Um, you know, there's. The Dortmund has a lot of great players there too, and and he needs to play. I mean, you can't just have him on that first team and getting like five minutes here and there every you know every other week. I mean, that's it's great and an honor to be a part of a team like Dortmund, but that's not going to do anything by way of his development. Um, you know, it was great. It was good to see him. I don't. I like to think that they did it not just for cap tying. I mean, I think that that's predatory cap tying is a term when you use just to, just to cap tie somebody just like almost like a dog marking its territory and and that <laughs> over the long term doesn't 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 bode well for for future dual nationals as they think you're doing it the, the less likely it is. but look i mean Clinton, there's obviously some legitimate curiosity in in seeing where Pulisic is at this stage too but look i mean seven, he's going to have ups and he's going to have downs i mean there's going to be times when he's not playing there's going to be you know, it's going to be, there's going to be, he's going to have to come through barriers and he's got to break through them like every other young player. Um, you know, and it's tough to pencil him as, as being a regular key part of this team. Um, and a guy who can contribute, consistently make an impact. Uh, I mean, 
you know, I think it's one of these guys where you, where you bring him in time to time and if it works out good. But, you know, he still has the U-20 World Cup next year. And he still has the next Olympics, which he's also eligible for, the next U-23 team. Think about it, that's how old he That's how young he is. Right. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot. There's a big, big, long future for him. I mean, this is the first cap. I'm sure it'll be one of many. But in terms of, but it's way too early to, to know what to expect. I mean, I mean, if you go back and look at what, what people were predicting for Julian Green and, and even getting into Lalem, who hasn't even made his debut yet, too. Yeah. I mean, it was a year ago when Clinton said he was ready for the first team, for the U.S. national team, and that has not come to fruition, and now he's not playing with Rangers. Yeah. So, you know, youth prospects look, look golden a lot of times, too, and, and, and sometimes it doesn't always work out. Now, look, I think Christian, the numbers he put up with Bruce Dortmund's youth teams, suggest he's a real, true, bona fide prospect. But, you know, like I said, you know, mentalities change, you know, not just nat- not just physical abilities. And you can't really set anything in stone, especially with a player of this age. So he's, uh, look, he's 17. We'll see what the future holds for, for Christian Pulisic. Again, not with the U23s who fall to Columbia in Frisco, Texas. 2-1 uh, to one on the night, 3-2 to two on aggregate. The, the result's not not surprising, Brian. I mean, uh, it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not a failure that the United States missed out on the Olympics for the second consecutive time, especially considering they had a chance to get it done against Honduras in Utah back in October. That's where the real failure lies. Uh, but this game was troubling, and I know you didn't get a chance to watch much of it because you were covering the, the senior team in Columbus. But this game was, was troubling in a couple of ways, um, mostly down towards the end when Luis Gill picks up a second yellow for, for well, it, really not his fault, but he had, he had obviously he had kicked some he had kicked a Colombian player to pick up the first one. Matt Miazga made a, a pretty bad mistake. There was some 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 really naive moments for the United States, and and, and I, I, we can get to the state of the program and what missing the Olympics means, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it, do you get the sense um, that there is something wrong in the attitude? Of some of the younger American players, uh, maybe a, a, another gener- a new generation who um, hasn't been challenged, I, I suppose, in some way um, at the top level, or, or seems entitled to something. I, I mean, I don't like being old man with somebody on my lawn, but this is this is obviously not good just from a mental fortitude perspective. No, it's not. I mean, look, the problem is, is this is a big failure for the team. I mean. Jurgen Klinsmann said that he it was a top priority for 2015 to get this team to Rio, and they used such language as like we can't lose another generation of young players. And on top of that, remember they created the U21 team two years ago, which was going to morph into the U23 team. So they started this cycle two years ago, just with efforts to qualify. They invested a lot of time and money and resources into this team, and it and it failed. Um, now. Look, I was, you know, U twenty World Cups are a good indicator of talent, and usually it's that older U twenty cycle because there's two U twenty cycles and one U twenty three cycle, if that makes sense, because it's ones that are two years, ones that are four years. And we're looking at the U twenty three team, U twenty team from twenty thirteen, and that team was not very good. I mean, they were blown off the blown off the pitch for the most part in um, in Turkey in twenty thirteen, and um, and that core pretty much stuck together, and and lo and behold, you know. It wasn't good enough then. It wasn't good enough now. And and I think that the that the 2015 U20 team that was good, um, they were uh, you know they, they were just too young at this point too. So you know I, you know I hope the mentality the mentality is is is, is very questionable, um, and it's it's not good because you were hoping just familiarity with you know, with each other would get them through this because they were together so much. 
but it wasn't. And, you know, you got to go back to the drawing board and look at each individual player. You got to look at, you know, how players progress with their clubs. Were there any players that they missed? If they missed them, why weren't they involved? And if there were players that they gave the keys to uh, the team too early and then they never emerged, why did they overwrite these certain players? These are questions that are going to have to be asked not immediately, but this is a long-term question, too. you got to kind of track these players and see where they go from failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, bad Olympic cycles can still produce very good players, um, you know, and uh, so we'll see where they go from it. Um, you know, there was a couple of, a couple of bright, 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 bright spots in this whole thing. I thought Tim Parker was one, but... Um, yeah, not many. It was, yeah. a, it was a bitter pill for them. By the way, Tim Parker, lucky to be on the field for the full 90 minutes after he had a, his own little stomping incident. Again, a, a frustration boiled over. Uh, look, I, I understand a lot was put on these kids, especially in light of what happened in 2012 um in in nashville brian but but to see this reaction and, and i and again i don't know that it's it's it, look i don't know if it's it, if it's andy herzog i don't know if we want to put this on jurgen klinsman but but as technical director as the guy who's overseeing the the senior team yeah, the program there, yeah. it, it's all it is it is ultimately klinsman's responsibility to get these things working well um there may be talent and 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 i've seen some credit given to klinsman certainly for Maybe working, uh, working out some of the dual international situations and, and maybe identifying a couple of players. But generally speaking, these are guys who are going to be in this program, regardless who was the head coach, just based on yeah. due diligence. So has he made any progress below the senior team level? Well, yeah. I mean, look, dual nationals is, is, is an interesting thing. It's, it, it, it's helped the U.S. team. But it's not development. You're pretty much just, you know, piggybacking off someone, another country that develops these players. I mean, unless if you're dealing with a dual national like Matt Miazga, who was, who was developed in the United States. I mean, if you look at guys like Keith Sweaterbrooks and, and, and all these other guys, I mean, you're piggybacking off other countries. It's, it's not what we want. I mean, you know, we, we welcome these players, but we want to see a, a technical director improve our own pipeline from within. Uh, you know, it, it's too early to say, you know, Clinton's failed at this. I mean, it's it's a long term project. It's a long term project. And and when he and look, if you're dealing with a U twenty three player, uh they were eighteen when Klinsman came in, um, you know, or below around that age, sixteen to eighteen. Uh so, you know, a lot of those players have already been their development has been spoken for. So, um but that being said, you know, you you know, it's that final step. It's it's getting these guys in the right professional environment to go from a good youth player to a good um senior player because you know, that's, that's been the missing hurdle. Like, we have these youth, if you look at our U17 team, you know, even the one that struggled at the World Cup, they get good results. Mm. They get very good results. It's, it's a matter of then taking that youth level and then getting them into a good step in their career and being able to translate that over into becoming full adults. I mean, we're a little slow in that regard, too. And, and, uh, and a lot of questions have to be asked about, you know, uh, you know development in terms of what, what players do in the first step of their career. Um, and where they get their training, and, and that's a big, big jump, and mentally and physically and everything. So there's a lot of different questions, marks all up and down the developmental pipeline. Um, it's too early to, like I said, too early to call Clinton a failure at this, but um, at the same point, though, um, it does fall under his watch, and uh, he picked, you know, he had a big heavy hand of uh, heavy hand in saying in this Olympic team and the last Olympic team that failed, too. So we have to look at why, and yeah. it might land on Clinton, it might not. 
All right, so Brian, you know we we we've got the 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 senior team now uh, back in second place in their group and and looking like as long as things uh, you know go as we we expect and, and certainly we didn't expect to lose in Guatemala, but as long as things go uh, the way we expect things to be fine on that front, uh, it's, it's it is a matter of how well they're playing. Of course, Copa America comes between uh, then and 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 now. What Clemson's not going anywhere. We we all know that. We've all. I don't know that we've made our peace with it necessarily, but we certainly certainly have to accept that the the federation is not going to be making a change on that front anytime soon. So, so what is next for the program then? I mean, is there a is there a sense uh, from you that that there needs to be greater push, pressure placed on you know Galati, placed on Jurgen Klinsman? I mean, Klinsman did seem to respond negatively in my mind, but he did seem to respond to some of that pressure this weekend. Well, of course, you know, I think. You saw a different lineup there for a reason. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, it was he wanted to put a different attacking lineup out there on the field last night, but you also saw guys like moves that made sense. DeAndre moving the right back and Cameron moving in the middle and Beckerman coming in and playing that role that he put, that really, you know, he's played so well and Clinton is, you know, it's a big, actually a big hole for the Nationals. It's almost a point for another segment is who replaces Kyle Beckerman because they play so much better with him on the field, but he's older. Um, you know, no one's really filled in that role yet, um, that strict defensive role. But, well, but, but, but Brian, but Brian, is that... And, is, and he got the result. But, but is um, that... Brian, is, what is next? Brian, Brian, yeah. before before you move on from the from the Kyle Beckerman role, is, is there... Do, do we really believe that Klinsman's done a, a full job of trying to identify somebody to to be that to be that guy? I mean, you know, uh, in Guatemala, it's Mixed Discord. We know Nick Mixed Discord's not playing that role. So who... So, no, it's, it's been elusive for him ever since... Uh, you know, look, ever since he, 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 he look, Beckerman's flourished under, under Clinton. It's been a, it, Clinton's use of Kyle Beckerman has been one of the high points of his career. He's, you know, he, he wasn't, he didn't really find a role under Bradley, but he found a great role under Clinton. But now he's 33. So, but if you look at like all the re- results of trying to find someone else to do what Beckerman does, it all failed. I mean, Jones and Bradley are, are, are free rangers. They don't really have that discipline that Kyle sits there and knows what his role is and very sits back. He's so disciplined in that role, and that's what it requires. But Beckerman and Jones, I mean, sorry, Bradley and Jones don't do that. You know, they tried Cameron there at the World Cup. That didn't really work. He's, gee, January camp, Danny Williams has been so inconsistent. And then, you know, he tried Tony Chani at January camp, but he, you know, he bolted for Cameroon. So it's, um, it's been very elusive there. And, um, he's tried options if nothing's worked out. And that's going to be a big priority is to find Beckerman's replacement because they play so much better with Beckerman on the field. Um, what, what, guy, you know, Beckerman, when you watch him in person, is a completely different. I mean, his positional awareness is yeah. just fantastic. No, no, he, he, he um, is, he is other level in that way. But, but I guess what my, what I'm saying is I don't expect somebody to step right into Kyle Beckerman's shoes and, and do the job he's done. But but at the same time, I mean, you know, has Perry Kitchen gotten a, a full shot? I know he's just changed clubs, but he's has he gotten a full shot to really? No, um, neither has Dax. Or, Dax you know, hasn't Dax gotten any look. Air apparent, of, right? Uh, I mean, he plays the he plays Kyle's role. Um, the, sta- the most I, identical to Kyle. Exactly. Um, exactly. Out there. Mm-hmm. So why why not? Why not? That? I mean, this is again. I, this comes- I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, Clinton <laughs> says he's watching him, but we don't know what exactly that means. Um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't have an answer for it. I mean, I can't, you know, you don't have opportunities all the time just to ask Clinton about each individual player he's not calling up. Uh, the answer is he's just, he's just not there yet or he just doesn't rate him. Um, but he certainly knows about him. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's, 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 it, there's a lot of things that are going forward individually and big picture wise for Clemson too. 
look, if the, if the U.S. team falls flat at the Copa America on home soil for the second year in a row, failing on a home on a home soil tournament, the mood is going to be pretty dour going into Russia, regardless of how they do in the hex. I mean, it's it's such a big tournament. It's the biggest tournament on U.S. soil since the 1994 World Cup. They really they really have to put in a good performance here, or else the whole cycle could really be. Um, just surrounded by question marks of what if. I mean, no, co- no Confederations Cup and and uh, no real major competitions, you know, no real pace of success in between that four years. It'll be a big four-year gap of just nothing but people bickering about Clemson, and, and that, that just doesn't give you any kind of the positive momentum you need heading into uh, a World Cup. Yeah, uh, certainly. I see, I see the Copa America as, as more crucial than, than most people realize. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, whether or not these two games and, and last night for both the senior team and the U23s is a referendum on Klinsman's tenure, um, in a microcosm, certainly the Copa America will be the latest uh, opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, the next opportunity to see if there's any real progress yeah. being made in this, the competition. I mean, I've got Roberto in my timeline right now, um, right, right now, Brian asking, uh, if the United States should be worried because Paraguay, Costa Rica, and Colombia all did the business last night. Well, Paraguay drew with, with Brazil, but they were up to nothing in that game. And, and to me, I mean, yes, of course, you know, be worried about the, be worried, be yeah. worried about I mean, your opponents. Yeah. But, but this is more about the United States and, and having, you know, working through their internal issues and trying to figure out who they are. And Clinton put together a, a solid, consistent lineup that he can trot out there against anybody and have a reasonable hope that they're going to put in a, a, at least a strong performance that puts them in a position to maybe win if luck goes their way. That's the way I felt about the United States for many, many years, even if I had frustration over playing style and the like, Brian. I'm not sure I feel that way anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of questions. I mean, it's, 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 and, and and unfortunately, you know, you only get answers right uh, like when when a team puts on a impressive performance, you know, against a good team. That really, you know, American fans are savvier now, and media people are savvier now in terms of they're not going to get fooled by a, by a win over Guatemala on home soil. So, you know, and that's why I thought missing out on the Olympics is is, is is a big deal because it's such a springboard into that whole team, and the opportunity to get some of these younger players international competition. I mean, look, I thought that when you look at the 2008 Olympic team. That was a magnificent springboard in the 2010 for, for guys like Holden, Adu, Josie. It would have been Charlie Davies, too. And they just don't have that now. Now you're just missing out on games um, and a chance to learn about your team and where role, where guys fit in and fit in, you know, and build trust between coaches and players and who can fill what roles. And so it's not just a big mystery, too. Because, look, a lot of the, you know, people talk about Clinton, Clinton's uncertainty with lineups, but a lot of that has to do with how much can he trust players. And you need opportunities to trust players. And, um, and it, it's just like those are becoming fewer and far between without, you know, without, you know, uh, Olympics and, and Confederations Cups and, you know, Arena and Bradley both had those at, at, at really key moments of, of their coaching tenure. And Clemson, you know, does not. And part of that, you know, might be his own, might, he has to answer for that as well because he is the technical director. He assumed that rule on his own, his own free will. So, you know, it's fair to question him about it. Brian Sharetta, American Soccer Now. Go find uh, go find all the coverage there that they've done on the USA recently. There's a uh, uh, March 13th update to the ASN 100, which I've been looking at quite a bit this morning in the last couple of days. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, some changes coming to that uh, if the next time it, uh, next time it comes around. Brian, thank you very much for the time. Uh, I appreciate it in light of your travels. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Jason. Anytime.
There goes uh, Brian Sharetta. Good stuff from him. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Phone lines will be open. Your thoughts on the U.S. men's national team, U23s, and the like. It's Soccer Warning, Backheel.com. To Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, we're back on a Wednesday edition of Soccer Morning. Good stuff from Brian Sharetta there. Lots to chew on as we talk about the U.S. men's national team coming out of a pair of qualifiers against uh, Guatemala. Obviously, it's not all hunky dory now that they've beaten Guatemala for nothing and uh, gotten themselves back into one of the qualifying places in Group C of CONCACAF qualifying. It's not like everything's great. We're not wash, whitewashing all of the the problems that this team will now uh, that this team still faces. We're not saying that everything is is golden. Of course, I mean, even if you look at the goals last night, they sort of bumbled their way into a four nothing win. I mean, it, it was it wasn't as though you had clear, dominant play that resulted in well-taken finishes of the clean, crisp variety. I mean, you had Clint Dempsey um, putting, away, uh, putting away a shot to open things up uh, in a situation where the ball fell to him kindly. You had, you had uh, Jeff Cameron with a, with a goal. That uh, well taken. I, I suppose you could argue that that one's fine. Then Graham Zusi tacking on a goal that really is all about the bad touch of of uh, of Jossie's artist. In fact, Clint Dempsey's goal came from a bad bad touch. Bad Jossie's artist ran fast. The ball hit him. It fell to Clint Dempsey. And then the final goal, where there is no way Clint Dempsey meant to dribble that ball into the path of Josie Altidore as if it was a pass of some kind. That's not what that was. So, even the goals themselves leave a lot to be desired. Let's go to Al in Missouri. Hey, Al. Hey, what's going on this morning? Um, I just want to talk about the highs and lows, mainly the low point. I'm very disappointed that the U.S. Um, under-23 team with that roster didn't make it to the um, to the Olympics and everything else. And it just feels like it's just a wasted, a wa- it's just a wasted talent again. Yeah, I mean that now that those now those players are sort of in a limbo, right? I mean this is what Brian Sh- uh, Brian Shaw was talking about that the U23s in 2008 got that experience, got a chance to go play at a high level tournament as a team as they were on the verge of breaking their way into the senior squad, right? Because now when you look at that group, I mean some of those guys will be age eligible for the U20s. Uh there's uh there's a couple of guys who will come back around to even in the Olympics, but for the most part, we're talking about players who are in sort of a limbo. Yes, you know, like, um, well, Jordan Morris is going to be on the senior team. I hope I get to see. Hope we get to see him more, maybe in Copa America, and maybe during the hex and everything else, because we need to develop, you know, some more center backs on that roster too. We, wait, wait. Well we need to today. develop. Okay. But I also, saw, but I also too, but another thing too, I saw, I saw a young team that was just imploded to at the end. Yeah. After, after they were down two one, they just said, "Forget it." 
So what if we get a yellow card and everything else? They were just... Well, yeah, that that, that, that did frustrate me, Al, because what you had was a situation where, look, they they knew that it was going to take two goals. A a goal to tie the aggregate scoreline would do them no good because they would lose on the on the away goal tiebreaker. So they needed at that point, they needed two goals to to get through. And and there was just no way based on the the way the Colombians were dominating the ball and the the inability of the Americans to create real chances. There's just no way that they were going to come back. And, and rather than responding to that in, in sort of a composed manner, they all, not all of them, but there was a, a, a mental breakdown across that team that really was troubling guys, throwing fits, uh, stomps, uh, leaving, in, uh, leaving in legs on challenges, just being dirty. And the Colombians didn't make it better because they started time-wasting and they started you know, yeah, act, they acting like, like babies. But you know that's coming. Deal with it. Uh, Al, i got to run. You got anything else? Um, that's about it. All right, man. I appreciate day. it. Thanks a lot. Alan, uh, Missouri jumping on board. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Bill up in New York. Hey, Bill. Hey, Jason. I'm glad you're talking about the, uh, the 23s and the lack of professionalism on that team. I mean, is there anybody on the team that's not a professional? And the, the way they played last night and like they stopped, you know, like he said, Tim Parker, who was definitely the highlight of the two games. Yeah, he could have been the goal of the game at the end. There, stomping on that guy. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs> that, I, here's the thing, Alejandro, uh, Alejandro Moreno. Um, I I kind of like him sometimes, but at the same time, I do think he's got a. Pr- he comes off like he's got a bias, like he's maybe not a fan of the U.S. programs. Being critical is, is maybe what it is, but when you're in the middle of watching your team fall and lose and melt down, you kind of don't want to hear Alejandro Moreno take shots, and yet he was spot on with, with Tim Parker. The guy should not have been on the field. He was. And then him, Gil, and then even Miasco, the game before that where he's kicking the ball away and he's got a yellow card, and a stupid yellow card in that game. This whole team, it, it, I, I know we all want to blame Jurgen and everything else, and I definitely want to blame Jurgen too. I'm on board with that. You, these guys got to play. Yeah. You're professionals. Yeah. And the first game against Columbia where it ended up being a 1-1 draw and everybody was talking about how what a good result that was playing down there. Columbia, it was like boys against men. They destroyed us down there. We were so lucky to get away with a 1-1 game. And I kind of felt that everybody was giving them a pass because we're playing this great Columbia team. Columbia is barely getting into the Olympics themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not playing the best team in the world. We should have been going toe-to-toe with them. And we would have taken a 1-1 if we were toe-to-toe with them. But they destroyed us. They destroyed us in both games. We weren't even close. This team should be embarrassed by themselves. And and then we're not getting any better. We're not, now we're not going to play in the Olympics. These kids aren't going to get – I shouldn't call them kids because they're professionals. They're not going to get more quality games. And we're just going to start falling more and more behind, I feel. Well, um, yeah, I mean, now there's a there's a responsibility on the part of Klinsman and, and Herzog and the, and the people that are in charge of the program to figure out a way to, to to, you know, to to make up for. I, you're not making up for the, for the lack of an Olympic uh, program, but a lot of teams, you know, a lot of countries don't make the Olympics. Now it's a matter of finding ways to progress without that Olympic uh, advantage. Uh, so I don't know, Bill. I mean, it's. It, I, I want to be positive, especially in light of the response from the players and give them credit against Guatemala. 
but then we see the U23s, then we sort of recognize where this program is in general, and it, it, it's still hard to get enthused about things. And, and now with the Guatemala game, I, I kind of feel that that falls on Jurgen now. Because I think Jurgen, after the first game, he basically came out and admitted to me, at least watching it, that I screwed up the first game. And now I got to change. I got to bring in Zuzi. I got to bring in these guys. I have to change the line because I made mistakes. You've been with us for two cycles now. He shouldn't be making mistakes like that in that first game and putting out that squad and then panicking at the end of that game and just throwing guys in there to try to get a result. That was all on him. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm, I'm seeming blame on everybody now after these two games for both teams. And uh, I'm, I'm worried about our young guys coming up. And obviously I'm worried about our national team with Jurgen. I don't think he's doing a good job with these guys. Yeah. All right, Bill, appreciate the Thanks, call, man. Jason, Thanks, Jason, appreciate it. All right, it's good, good stuff from Bill. Let's go to uh, Patrick Clemson. What's up, Patrick? Hey, how are you doing today, Jason? Uh, you know, it's a, it try, we're trying to find the happy middle ground here. We're not, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to be doom and gloom because, look, the United States won a game, and they won for nothing. And, you, you know, you, you have to be yeah. – you, you have to be judicious with your criticism in that situation – and yet here we are sort of still picking things apart. And, and the U23s obviously doesn't help. Right. Well, I guess what I wanted to touch on almost sort of fits into some of that is, I guess you talked about this a bit last week, but the United States is in a place where it, it really feels like we don't have an identity right now, and we kind of lost that identity. And I think you kind of saw the two sides of that last night with the two different games. I mean, the first game uh, against Guatemala, it really felt like a return to form for the U.S. and the national team, where it was very physical, direct, you know, we did well on set pieces. It felt like, you know, the kind of soccer that we're known for playing and grinding out and get our results. Whereas, you know, the U23s definitely, you know, especially under Klinsman as also the technical director, just felt like they were still out of ideas under whatever sort of direction Klinsman's got. And uh, one of the things that just really got me thinking about this recently is I saw ESPN has a great 30 for 30 documentary about the, uh, the uh, USSR uh, hockey team and all their rise to success on the international stage from Russia being a country that barely played hockey at all to being, you know, the great superpower. And one of the things that made them so loved and like so successful um, among like bringing youth players in is that they played hockey on their terms. They played their own style. It wasn't the same as Canada or the United States. And when they got to the national stage, you know, they didn't have success right away, but you could clearly that they were their own thing. They had their own unique identity. And I guess that's still a question we have to be thinking to ourselves right now is, you know, if we want the success, do we want to, like, reboot our system and just become a carbon copy of a Germany or some other team, or do we want to have success on our own terms? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. And, and look, the, the first is – the former is almost impossible, right? I mean, there – Right. If, if it was like that – we would have a situation, and, and maybe that's, you know, just a, the, the nature of, of variance is going to create a situation where it's even hard to, like, is Belgium a carbon copy of anybody or are they their own thing? You know, that kind of thing. Um, right. You know, it's, it, it's, while, while I, I may deride Klinsman from the, some, for some of the choices, while I may deride him for a lack of stability in the program, uh, while I may deride him for his, 
um, his inability to accept responsibility in some cases. The thing that I do like about Jurgen Klinsmann is that he does have clear notions of what he thinks American soccer should be. I don't have to agree with those notions necessarily if there's progress, but I don't know that there is. So now we have a question of whether or not the United States needs to adjust its its mentality about what it wants to be. I mean, that, the, the first ultimate question we have to answer as a soccer country is what kind of soccer team do we want to have? Do we do we want to have, um, you know, a, a, a supremely technical uh, side that passes the ball around the park that plays? I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, a Mexican style of the game, because the Mexicans are very good at at, at a technical mm-hmm. soccer that that plays very quickly, one and two touch passings. It's not tiki taka. It's it's a little bit more aggressive than that. At least getting the ball up the field. They're not going to lull you into lull you to sleep and then pick two or three passes. They they will take their chances when when they come in, in sort of different um, a, a different sense. Or do we want to be something wholly different? And and if we are going to be something wholly different, are we comfortable with being something different that may not be as on paper or on on but from first visual inspection as quote unquote technical, because I think we have a, a, a you have an identity crisis in soccer in this country where there's a large group of people, uh, particularly younger group of people who want us to be Spain. The problem is we're not Spain. We're very far away from Spain. And whether or not it's even a good idea to try to be Spain is an open question. And then you have, but, but so what the United States does well doesn't fit in with the notion of what constitutes attractive, proactive, modern soccer, right? Right. Right. No, no, I, I get all that. But, like, in my mind, you know, I, I think there's definitely the approach that we should be looking at is not so much a total scrap and start over again of how we're playing and more an evolution on what we already have. I, I mean, I don't think it's impossible for us to gain a little more attractive soccer, you know, in terms of, you know, how we're playing, maybe not be so scrappy, but still have the great identity that we're, you know, we're still going to be, you know, the United States, we're still assuming we're the underdog just because that's how it's always been. And, you know, we're going to really go for it on our, our set pieces, you know, stuff like that's, been successful for us in the past, and, you know, I, I just don't think that, like, completely losing everything is going to do us any good, because it just doesn't feel like that's really true to, to anything. That just feels like, you know, being so mechanical about it. And I think you're right, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann definitely does have whatever his vision of uh, wants American soccer to be, but, I, you know, I, I just wish that there were more tangible things you could see that he's changed, especially you know, along the youth levels. I mean, it's, he's been here for how long and we've really heard no rumblings on changing a lot of the main things that people have gripes with about youth soccer, which is high school and college soccer. And those things are still operating the same way they were when Klinsman got here. And those are two of the biggest things that, you know, probably are going to have to change or be scrapped or restarted in some other form to really make any sort of change here. And, that's for me is almost more frustrating than, you know, all the tactics and everything. Is it like, you know, I want to see actual change happen and it, it, I just don't see it anywhere mm. other than maybe whatever's going on inside of U.S. soccer and their own youth teams. I mean, it just seems like outside of any of whatever they've picked out for their players, I don't see anything else happening, you know, across the board. 
Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, one of the the issues here is, and I try to be as big picture as possible. That means I miss things. That means I'm not as informed about the grassroots level in different parts of the country as I might want to be. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe we need to dive into those things. But the reason I try to go big picture is because we, we talk about these things in these terms all the time. The way you're bringing it, bringing it up, Patrick. And, and the issue for me is, is, is from this reserve perspective, you and I, and, and maybe you know what's happening in mm-hmm. South Carolina, but beyond that, it's, it's a mystery. We want to make these grand proclamations, things like, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but to say stuff like it's not changing. No, no, no. I think that's, that's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, like, could, again, like I said, it's, it's hard to see. And, yes, you know, it would exactly. Be, I just think it would be better if, if Klinsman was out there, you know, every week saying, you know, here's XYZ we're doing, or if in his spare time he was at some youth camp in somewhere random across America, you know, explaining things, you know, that, that might be better, at least in terms of, understanding what he's all about and then maybe we have a more accurate assessment of whether we think Jurgen Klinsmann's ideas are good or not for American soccer yeah yeah I mean part of this is in maybe a more mature setup these things are easier to determine or maybe they're not maybe they become more subtle in that situation yeah. um in in, right. in an immature setup because there's so much to take on because the web is so complicated you know you, you you touch it's it, it I'm going to use the spider web as an analogy just because it came to my head you, you you touch something on one side of the web and it shakes everything but if you're on the other side of the web you don't know what mm-hmm. caused that you don't know what that was oh everything's moving what what's moving why am I vibrating here I I, I think that you know we uh, again I I deal a lot with people who call me up and say we need to do X we need to do Y we need to change Z coaches kids curriculum. Uh, small-sided games, free play. Um, I, I had a guy say 11 on the 11 at the youngest age possible, which blew my mind. I mean, everybody's got an idea, and everybody wants it applied in grand scope, and that is is in reality impossible. So now, if that's right. in, in reality, if that's impossible, how do you apply these ideas? Where do you apply these ideas? Do you take uh, do you, do you want like a, a, a canary in a coal mine situation and a couple of different places you impl- uh, apply something and then see how, how it works? Well, now are you doing right by everybody else if you're applying different standards? How is the, the youth club down the road five miles going to feel about that other club having a different sort of st- setup or a different, um, you know, being, being brought along differently? I mean, the, the, the politics, the, the, the provincial attitudes, the the old attitudes about how to play and how best to play, the winning at all costs, the pay to play. I mean, we could do this all day, Patrick, and we and we won't. Right? Yeah, we could. Oh, just it makes your head hurt. It makes your head hurt. Yeah. And here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the, what what I am convinced of is that none of these things individually are what is causing American soccer not to reach its potential, but as a whole, they all need to be addressed, or, it, or, or as a complete set of problems, they all need to be addressed. So we get distracted by talking about sp- small-sided games at the age of seven or kids playing with the ball uh, more and not heading the ball when they're seven or, or, uh, small sided games versus big games versus indoor games versus, you know, we, we, we get all distracted by these right. little right. tweaks and these small things when what is our biggest issue, our biggest problem is that culturally we are so far behind anybody who, I mean, 
when you're so far behind a nation like Colombia, culturally speaking, mm-hmm. that we just toss it out the window like it doesn't matter. And, and, and I, and I think that, that a lot of times it sounds like I'm making an excuse, but I don't think we can account for the fact that every single player on that Colombian team grew up in a household that, that, you know, was obsessed with the game on, on a level that, that maybe Americans just can't understand a lot of times. You know, and we, and we want to hold ourselves up. We care. We, you know, I'm as passionate about the game as anybody. Well, are you really? I mean, is it, is it, it did you, Roll a ball out for your three-year-old, and he's out front on the on the in, in, you know in the dirt, kicking the ball around, learning how to, to to play. Or did you wait until your kid was five, sign him up for a rec league, take him out there with the other moms and dads, watch him run around some cones, and say we're very passionate about soccer? Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's right. it's not that we're doing anything wrong in the in the you know in the 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 sense of of the child's well-being or what is what is right as a society we're not doing societal wrongs but we might be we might have some soccer wrongs that are built into how we deal with the game right now because everywhere else that the 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 game truly matters it truly matters in ways that we are uncomfortable with you know what i'm saying does that make sense yeah yeah i do yeah. yeah, and I, I think maybe part of that goes back to just maybe not even Jurgen Klinsmann, maybe just U.S. soccer in general. Just it doesn't feel to me like they are really out there, like involved in everything that's going on. Well, but and see, can they be? An issue that, but can they I know be? You can't, but like, no, no, no. I don't. I don't. It, I, I don't mean. I don't mean they can't because it's too big of a problem. I mean, can they be involved in in? Parts of the game in this country that are what, while, while, while culturally speaking, we're well behind, um, a lot of, you know, certainly the powers of the world. There, there is a truth that, that we have established structures here in the United States that are being run by people who have no interest in letting U.S. soccer tell them what to do at all. Or if they are, they're going to work no, I mean, on, on their terms. We're going to do things on our terms with you at soccer. Yeah, you can come in and tell us about a curriculum or we can, we'll, we'll join your development academy, but we're going to do things our way. You know what I'm saying? No, no, I know what you're saying. And I'd be shocked if, you know, that wasn't the response from, you know, whoever U.S. soccer went to. But I, I don't know. I think just in general, like changing the sentiment about soccer may be the bigger issue. Mm hmm. At hand. Okay. okay. Like, if U.S. soccer was focused on that, you know, maybe not even necessarily telling people what to do, but how to approach the game and how much it matters, making sure it's fun for people, making sure that all those kids, you know, in youth camps really care that the United States does well at a World Cup or a Copa America or at the Olympics or what have you, then I think that changes a lot. I mean, that's something I think I see a lot on the women's side of the game because, Girls really, really do care about, you know, United States women's national team. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed for me to find some girl that's not done soccer at some point that isn't completely obsessed with all of them, you know, following them on social media, X, Y, Z. And I think for them that that's escalated almost to a similar level that, you know, the men's team hasn't. And that's even just within, you know, a niche population of mm. the girls that are doing soccer, which, well, you know, I- obviously has grown a lot in the past couple decades, yeah. but, but still, it's not what the men are. 
No, no, but the, but there's also the fact that uh, you know the women are the the best in the world. They won their first. No, no, that's they, they won World Cups when these when these girls were were very young, were not even born yet. So they all the, the the team itself was already a superstar on the world stage, which makes it way easier to jump on board. I mean, this is why we yeah, have American kids. You know, they were born here. Their parents are American. Their their connections to any other country are, are non-existent at this point through uh, through through the family history, and yet they jump on board and become Brazil fans or Germany fans or England fans or whatever because for them the fun is rooting for a good team, and the United States is not a good team. Right. Certainly not in the big picture. You know, not in the, the grand scheme of of world football. So so that is a problem. I don't know that we can quote unquote fix until it. it you know, it's. It's 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 a it's a catch twenty two. It's a circular problem that that the United States needs to figure out. Um, and and the, for the girls' side of of it too, for the women's game, one of the things that makes all of that possible is actually a bad thing, and that's that the club game on the women's side is well is, is so so underdeveloped that, <laughs> that it's that, that, that it's criminal. It's criminal that the women's game is underdeveloped on the on the club side to that point. And hopefully we get you know we we build up closer. But then that opens up again the question of. And I've asked this about the, the the men's game in this country, whether or not we're moving towards club over country, and and the women that's well down the road. Um, hopefully NWSL mm-hmm. last and last and last, and people form real bonds with their clubs. But as MLS gets to twenty years, as people have started to establish connections to uh, to English clubs and German clubs and everything else, Spanish clubs, I I do get the sense that we're that a tide is turning in the United States, and what once was a soccer culture driven by the senior men's national team is now a soccer culture driven by the club game. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I totally see that, and that's you know the scary future for some people that are soccer purists or what have you. But you know that may be a reality we have to live with. And at that point, you know, maybe it doesn't even matter what the <laughs> national team is is doing because it's all gone to the club game. So I don't know. These are all very hard questions to ask. That you know have answers that are pretty opaque. You know, it's really hard to to say a lot of these things until really buckle down and do something else. You know, I, I certainly don't think at the very least what has been going on now or for the past 30 years has necessarily had a huge boom in the, uh, the growth of the team. Um, you know, other than having better organization, you know, across the board, it, it does, it just doesn't feel like the, the sentiment, like I said, has it really has, has taken off in the way that I think U.S. soccer hmm. would hope it would, you know, especially after some of the successes at the World Cup or, you know, making a Confederations Cup final XYZ, you well, know, the, the, the sentiment still needs to change, you know, especially sure. with you well, know, the we, small victories that we, we do have on the Internet. I, I think right? it's I think it's absolutely so, true that that we have a very large pure number wise fan base for soccer. in The United States of America maybe as big as any country in the world, barring a couple. Um, but mm-hmm. our fan base is more fractured than any in the world uh, by, by mm-hmm. lots and lots. I mean, we have every stripe of fan and, and rather than the national team being this unifying, uh, this unifying element, it, 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 it does unify portions, large portions of the fan base. Don't get me wrong, but not in the same way. That we would see um, in most in most uh, major soccer countries. So so then yeah, I mean that, that that direct to your point, Patrick, is whether or not um, U.S. soccer and, and maybe it's only them because there's nobody else have done a good enough job of trying to 
it, it, because raw, raw, raw patriotism only goes so far, right? So I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult thing. Yep. All right, Patrick. Appreciate the call, man. Well, I don't have. Yep. I appreciate it. Sorry. There goes uh, Patrick in South Carolina. I'm not sure we, we solved anything, but we had a good discussion there. That's going to do it for a Wednesday edition of Soccer Morning here on Backheel.com. If you, uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, hit us up on Twitter at Soccer Morning. If you want to get to me directly, it's Davis JSN. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll probably have more national team discussion. There'll be other things on the docket. We have a weekend of club soccer coming after the international window uh, closes. It's all good and gravy. It's Soccer Morning. We'll see you then. Bye.